Okay, I'd like to to spend a few minutes just looking ahead to the year to come. And the first thing I want to do is remind you how good our God is, what an amazing God we have. His kindness, his love, his favour, his generosity. He's generous and faithful time after time to us individually, to us as a church. And this has been a year to look up and move on. We've had a strong sense of God's invitation to come close, to know that we're loved, to take confidence, to find strength and joy in being his, to see with fresh eyes that he really does hold the kingdom, the power and the glory in his hand. And in drawing close to God, we choose his rule over self-rule, which is the path of discipleship. And what we long to see is Sheffield transformed. I mean, that's the kind of end point, the goal, the hope, the dream, the aspiration, whatever words you want to use, it's Sheffield transformed. That's our main thing. And of course, we have mission partners overseas and elsewhere in this country, and they're important, but, but our focus is on where we live, the city that this church inhabits. So we want to see Sheffield transformed. And that's our calling and our identity as a church. It's why we were born. It's not that we think we'll do it on our own. It's not that we think it will happen overnight or even in a year or two. But it's what God's called us to because it's his dream. No, it's not something that we've made up that we're trying to co-opt God into supporting. It's his dream, it's his heart that the city is transformed. And, and I want you to imagine what it could look like if the city was transformed. You, you'd go onto our worst estates and there wouldn't be rubbish everywhere. There wouldn't be litter. The gardens would look really nice. Most of the kids would grow up with a mum and a dad. You could walk across campus and you wouldn't see people who are drunk or high on drugs. It would be pretty unusual if you didn't hear worship music playing. Everywhere in the city it would be okay to talk about God. It would just be normal. When colleagues chat, it would be normal. The way the city's resources are allocated would be brilliant. There would be business startups all the time. It, it might not be quite so great for career development if you work for the police or the NHS because there would be less need for those two because of the amazing healing that was happening because there's so much less crime in Sheffield. It would be such a fantastic place to live. And the whole spiritual atmosphere would be changed. And that's the dream. And to be agents of this, we make life better and we make disciples. 
Those two things, because that's what Jesus did. That's what he modelled and that's what he taught, making life better and making disciples. Jesus made life better for people wherever he went. If they were ill, if they were blind, if they couldn't walk, if they didn't have food, Jesus made life better. He made life better by what he taught as well. How we should keep on forgiving time after time. Jesus made life better even if people didn't respond to his message. You know, sometimes, like when Bartimaeus was healed of blindness outside the walls of Jericho, Bartimaeus just got up and followed Jesus on the road. But other times, Jesus healed ten people of leprosy and only one of them came back to follow Jesus. Making life better is a kingdom win. When food bank gives food to someone who would be hungry otherwise. When someone becomes debt free. When a young person gets back into school because someone in Forge is interested in them. That's a win. But if they also choose to follow Jesus, then that's gold. Then that's gold because then their whole life will be turned round. Jesus prioritised making disciples. And his training method, the thing he actually did with the twelve, day in, day out, was make life better for other people. And we understand discipleship as having your life orientated around, hearing what God is saying, and then putting it into practice. And Jesus spoke of salt and light. This is from Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put light on a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Both of these, making life better and making disciples, are part of the same gospel because that is how Jesus did it. And Peter and Paul and all the rest of them did it as well. And for us, it starts with being called by Jesus. Now, he knows us by name. We know that we're loved and chosen and accepted and freed from sin. We know that we're reborn as children of heaven. And before we do anything, he calls us to be with him. And there are those lovely verses In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, 
and my burden is light. Have you heard that call from the Father? Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And that's the call. But the same Jesus who called us also gave us a commission. Just as he said, come, he also said, go. If his first words are come to me, his last words are go and make disciples. And if you just hear the call and you don't get the commission, then you miss the life of the kingdom and you end up with a therapeutic form of Christianity centred around yourself, which is just plain boring. But if you hear the commission and you haven't got the call, then you get into striving and task-driven and you burn out. And they're not separate things anyway. The call is part of the commission. When Jesus called Peter the first time and said, come and follow me, he also said, and Peter, I'll teach you how to fish for people. And when Jesus sent them out at the end and said, go and make disciples, he finished off with, and I'm always going to be with you to the very end of the age, which takes us right back to the call. And just for completeness, in between the call and the commission are the commands. The most important command, said Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Everything else depends on these two. And these commandments summarize the whole ethos of the gospel and the gospel community. They're how we do the call. They're how we do the commission. Make life better and make disciples. And uh, I gave examples, or we had examples earlier, from Forge and Restore. But it's way wider than that. Making life better and making disciples is way wider than stories that you've heard about today or that you can read in here. Because it's all our story. Life in business and education and study and government and health is about making life better and making disciples. If you work and lead others with grace and integrity, if you're really good at what you do, and if you also teach others to do it, then that is part of making disciples. And if while you do that, you are really transparent about who you are, then that gives glory to God and offers them a pathway as well then you're giving the best that you have. And I want to put it out there, especially to those of you who are kind of above a very junior stage in your workplace, but that you're in the secular world. There is a temptation for Christians not to let your light shine before men, but to kind of hide it a bit, to be a bit less than transparent 
about who you really are, what you do on Sunday or with your community, what motivates you, what moves you, what you're interested in, what you celebrate, what makes your heart beat faster. And to kind of keep that a bit hidden because that's more politically correct. In other words, to put a bucket over your light because it will develop your career better and it might avoid some conflict. But the call of the gospel is very clear. Make life better. Make disciples. Be a really good leader, but be transparent about who you are. Because then you're giving glory to God. Uh, Somebody once said, and I really loved it, whenever we get a kingdom breakthrough, God gets the glory, but we get the hugs. And if you're good at what you do at work and people know you belong to Jesus, then God gets the glory. In your home and in your neighbourhood, it is the same. You can keep very much to yourself or you can be salt and light. But our call is to make life better and to make disciples. Now there's two things I would like us to take away. And um, the first is when, when Anne and I have been kind of thinking and, and praying and reflecting about the year, we always ask God, what do you want us? You know, what do you want us to say? What's the big thing? And it's different every year. And um, the first one is, God really likes us. He really likes us. I I know it's possible for people to be a bit up themselves, but God really likes us. He loves it that our calling and identity is about the city rather than just gathering lots of people and having great budgets and great buildings. Our calling and identity is about the city. He loves that. He's not bothered about the fact that we're smaller than we were. He's simply not bothered. In his eyes, that's simply not an obstacle or an issue. Because the kingdom, the power and the glory belong to him and not to us. I mean, we can sow and water and we can be transparent and we can make life better and and we can make disciples. But the growth belongs to God. The new life, the new birth It belongs to him and not to us. And he said, I'll build my church. Not you build my church. I'll build my church. You know, you come and follow me. You go and make disciples. But I'll build my church. He wants us to know that we have his favor. And and I don't say that lightly. In fact, it's not a very Peter thing to say. You know, left to myself, I'd kind of, you know, well, we've got a long way to go. He wants us to know we have his favour. He wants us to grow in confidence, in faith and expectation. And, and Emmy's little thing that she shared, that video, which was great, wasn't it? And she said that one of the impacts that becoming a Christian had had on her is that as a person, she'd really grown in confidence. And I think that's prophetic for us as a church. God wants us to grow in confidence. 
And then the season isn't winter any longer. That's the final thing. The season isn't winter any longer. There are winter seasons. They come in every life and in every church. But it isn't winter anymore. Which means we always need his presence and power. We always need each other. And we just need to push a little bit. One of my favourite parables is the parable of the sower because it's so realistic. You know, the sower goes out and some falls on stony ground, nothing happens. Some falls on shallow ground, nothing happens. Some falls on weedy ground and it grows for a bit, but then it gets smothered. And a bit falls on good ground. And the interesting thing about that is that the, the return on investment for the first three is zero. You get nothing back from the stony ground. You get nothing back from the shallow ground. You get nothing back from the weedy ground. But from the fertile ground, you get 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. And serving Jesus is a bit like that. There's be a lot of making life better for people. There'll be a lot of making disciples when we never see a return, even if it's there. But there will also be times when we see 30, 60, 100, when somebody opens a door to a community or something happening and we see the 30, the 60 and the 100. And God wants us to take hold of that.